You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Well, hello there, leading woman in tech. How are you doing? It's another week and another episode, and this is a good one. We're talking about something that I wish was talked about more, mental health. And specifically, I'm tying it, as I always do, with your leadership here, and I'm giving you some tools and tactics to really elevate your mental health and your team's mental health and to help you understand how mental health is directly linked to your leadership if you didn't already. So make sure you stay tuned for all the goodness that's coming your way in just a moment. But just a bit of housekeeping before we get into today's episode, there is still time to register for the Leading Women in Tech Accelerator Bootcamp. We're now two weeks in, but we have designed this so you can catch up. So if you are excited to accelerate your career, if you're ready to unlock your potential, if you're like, I'm just spinning in circles and I don't know why I'm not moving forwards faster, then this bootcamp is for you. Yes, it's a bootcamp. That sounds a bit like hard work. It is designed to just take one to two hours a week alongside your day job and everything you learn in the bootcamp is highly actionable. You can put it in place straight away. That is the goal of this entire training that I put together for you. It's not a lot of work, but it is about acceleration. I'm a big believer in taking actions, the small but correct actions that give you the fastest results. So if that sounds amazing, make sure you go sign up before we close doors on this incredible training until I don't know when we're next going to run this, if ever. I think we probably will run it again. I'm just going to be completely transparent with you, but we don't have it in our roadmap right now. So it's going to at least be over six months away. So if this sounds like something you want, make sure you head over to tonycollis.com forward slash bootcamp before the end of this week to sign up because then doors will be shutting, going back in my training vault for some time to come. All right, let's chat about mental health. In this episode, I'm talking about our mental health as leaders and the mental health of our teams and those around us. If ever there was a topic that fitted the analogy of put your own face mask on first as we're taught in the airline industry, this is it. Because when we have good mental health, it has a positive snowball effect on those around us. If we are not dealing with our emotions, then those around us are more likely to receive our backhand, you know, the other side of our emotions when we're not in control of them. A lot of the time we don't even recognize when that's happening. If we are dealing with our emotions, our teams get the best of us. They have less to deal with. They also have a role model that shows up with them on how to handle emotions, how to process difficult situations. It's just the most wonderful positive feedback loop that we can enter. If we are probably looking after our mental health, we are able to deal with so much that comes our way and we set such a good example to those around us. And in case you didn't already know, once again, the positive correlation between professionals who take care of their mental health and true high performance is indeed there. Sure, there are examples, and you likely saw a fair number of these earlier on in your career, because we tend to see these people fairly early on in our careers. We tend to be exposed or managed by people who have risen up despite not taking care of their mental health. In fact, they've risen up by sacrificing their mental health, often without realizing it. They've risen to the top 
and they're stuck there actually. And the thing is, you tend to notice this early in your career because they've risen to the top compared to you as an entry level careerist, but actually they don't get any further. So we tend to be surrounded by them as terrible role models early in our career. If you've got past that stage, you'll know that those people, very few of them anyway, tend to get any further. They tend to work crazy hours as an antidote to the fact that they're not very efficient. They pile on the pressure on themselves and their teams as an antidote to the fact that their leadership style is having a negative impact on everybody around them. And we find ourselves with a manager who's unpredictable, untrustworthy, and sadly, as I mentioned, a lot of early to mid-level managers are like this because it can also be a bit of a badge of honour to fight the fight, to rise up instead of slowing down to speed up, which is what I advocate slow down to speed up and this is a case in point slowing down to take care of your mental health so that you actually speed up in very short order you really don't need to do a huge amount in order to speed up and yet I don't see enough people doing this and if you've been around a while you'll likely have seen that although such people tend to be widely known and often a little feared and be intimidating they really go very far unless they are founders. And even if they're founders, they tend to burn out or stall their company's progress. So I want you to be the leader that glides past that level of leadership. I want you to like merrily sail on by, hopefully provide them with some examples of how they could be better. (laughs) And I want you to be the role model that shows everyone else there is a better way that has a much bigger and more positive impact on yourself and those around you. Because good mental health is required for you to bring empathy to your leadership. Your mental health enables you to set realistic goals, expectations and workloads and most important of all, recognise better than those around you when somebody else isn't coping instead of focusing on the lack of met OKRs or other metrics. It helps you remove ambiguity from your team which in turn reduces stress, ensures that your team is top of game and helps them achieve more. There is so much ambiguity caused by leaders who have poor mental health who don't even realise it who are not making decisions, or when they do make decisions, they don't make them clearly. They exclude people from decisions, or they procrastinate on making decisions, and it has such a detrimental impact. It is possibly, in my opinion anyway, (laughs) one of the biggest sources of ambiguity in an organisation is actually a leader who hasn't got their mental health on point, which actually is the majority of leaders. Like I think mental health is one of these things that People will be like, oh, yes, my mental health is fine or it's other people's problems or maybe they talk privately to their therapist about it. It's not openly spoken about as mental health is something we are dealing with every single day. It's like managing your weight, right? Unless you're like somebody who doesn't have to watch what they eat or anything like that. It's something we do every day. Making sure you exercise, same sort of thing. Your mental health needs to be in the same kind of boat. It is just something that if you look at it regularly, doesn't require very much from you. And yet, if you don't take care of it, there's a very rapid downward spiral. Great mental health enables you to step outside your comfort zone more and more. You make decisions which mean progress for you, your team and your organization. But more than anything, great mental health in you as a leader builds trust, rapport and predictability. Everyone around you knows what to expect and why and when. But if you are struggling at work, you have less mental energy to focus on the other people around you, their needs and their issues, which if you are a leader, your job is to focus on other people primarily. Don't get me wrong. It's focusing on other people so you can deliver on something. Yes, 
but you need other people to be able to do that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a leader. You'd be an IC working with a computer. If your computer could do all the work for you, if everything was automation, you would not be a leader. Your job as a leader is to focus on other people around you. So you need to focus on yourself first as an act to enable you to focus on others more. You have to be in a good place so you're able to be the present leader instead of the absent, unavailable leader that many of us have actually experienced. So hopefully you get why this is important. So I have three tips, actually quite chunky tips, I will say, (laughs) to help you start prioritizing your mental health every single day without this becoming like this big crazy thing that you don't have time to do because I know how that feels. This really is about slowing down to speed up though. Number one, it's about regular self-care. I know I have said that so many times, but (laughs) self-care, self-care, self-care. I mean, I didn't even really understand what this meant early on in my life. I, I thought it was like spa days and stuff like that. It's so much more and also actually so much less than that. It is about taking time off and time out pausing throughout your day to collect your thoughts simply prioritizing you over all the other things whether work or family regularly throughout the day as an example my husband has been very ill over the last few weeks thankfully he's getting better now so don't worry (laughs) but otherwise I wouldn't be talking about this I've learned that the hard way I actually this is a mental health tip that I hadn't planned to say but one of the things I've learned is although I talk a lot about my skills my experiences I don't talk about an experience until I've emotionally processed it. So I wouldn't be talking about my husband being sick if I hadn't emotionally processed it. He's getting better. Everything's going well. So that's good news, right? But here's the thing. He he was sufficiently ill. Like we spent a couple of days in and out of hospital with him. And I was getting very little sleep. I was struggling to maintain things. And so what I did is I doubled down on my self-care, right? And this is something I've learned over the years that has to be non-negotiable. And you might think, oh my gosh, how do you double down on self-care when those around you are sick and they need everything from you? Believe me, I know this is tricky, but here's the thing. It doesn't have to be a whole big deal. Don't get me wrong. I am all about the spa days, me days, down days, taking time for myself. Absolutely. Whole days for self-care are glorious and should be part of your regular routine, but they're unrealistic every day. And they're certainly unrealistic when you have somebody around you who's sick. So what does self-care look like in such instances? Well, for me, this foundational, fundamental self-care is taking 30 seconds to do a few simple breathing exercises between client calls. I do this all the time, actually. And sometimes we're making my husband a hot drink to try and get fluids in him because that was one of the things we were struggling with, was getting him to drink anything. I would literally just take 30 seconds as the kettle was boiling to do a tiny little breathing exercise that I know is very grounding for me. It's, it's, it's this, it's simply like breathe in very quickly, two breaths in through the nose and then one slow breath out through the mouth. Like Right now, in fact, as you're listening to this, do that with me. Two breaths in, one slow breath out. It is so incredibly grounding and centering and it takes a few seconds, right? I'll do a a cycle of just like a few of them, like four of them maybe. And here's the thing that I found hard when I first started doing this. I would do that instead of running around and putting the washing machine on again or filling the dishwasher. There was a lot of housekeeping associated with looking after my husband over the last few weeks. An awful lot of housekeeping, um... And it would be so tempting and the old me would have just been like, oh my God, I do 30 seconds of doing this, doing that, doing the other. I've actually learned 
that that is a negative because I would have less left over for my husband. I've, if he ever does come on this podcast, he will tell you I am very clumsy. I'm always breaking things. And one of the reasons I break things is because I, I don't slow down enough, right? I'm always on. I'm always go, go, go. That's that's kind of who I am. But taking 30 seconds as the kettle boils to focus on me, to center me, it's very unglamorous, but that non-negotiable self-care every day helps me deal with my emotions. It took me so long to figure this one out. And honestly, as a leader, I never was great at it until I set my own business. It actually took starting my own business and realizing I could no longer continue the way I had been with my emotions controlling me so much every single day that it took setting up my own business for me to think, oh my gosh, something has to change here, right? So every day, for example, I do a reset between meetings. So I never take my emotions from one meeting to another. Again, as a coach, like that is non-negotiable. People are spending far too much money on me for me to take my emotions from one meeting to another. I'd started that work when I was um, a C-level executive, but honestly, could have done better. I've learned so much now as a coach, which I wish I had known back then. It is using some simple tools to pause, to center yourself. Kids irritating you, take a reset moment. They are unlikely to do anything super serious in the next two minutes that you take for yourself. Pets complaining at you, that's a constant round here. Take a reset moment. Your pets are not going to die if they don't get dinner straight away. Yes, they might pee on the floor if you don't let them out, Like, <laughs> but the world is not going to end. I think that is a large part of it for me. I had to appreciate that the world was not going to end if I took two minutes for myself. And that's all we're talking about here. Family member ill, take a reset moment to clear your thoughts so you can be fully present for them. Me being okay with the house being a disaster, me being okay with how I was feeling about my husband being sick, allowed me to be more present for my husband when he needed me. So what does it mean to take a reset moment? Obviously, there's those breathing exercises I just shared with you. And I do try and do that several times a day, minimum three times a day, actually. Another is going outside. Yes, even in the pouring rain, although I don't do that one between video calls. (laughs) Not, Not a great plan unless you have somewhere like undercover that you can do that. But fresh air and nature if you're able to get yourself immersed in nature like I can literally walk out the back door and I'm blessed to be immersed in nature just walking out there and so centering and so calming and I do it for me that's another part of the ritual which I haven't actually touched on yet is I will acknowledge this is for me and that's not selfish that is actually helping those people around me who need me I will literally remind myself of I need to take care of me for a minute here just one minute that's all it takes but one minute. The other thing I do is I, between every single call, even if I've only got a minute or 30 seconds and I try and build a bit more of a buffer in there, but I do, you know, I'm not the strictest with that, something I can improve on definitely. But if I've got more than a minute, I will put on my uplift playlist. (laughs) I will stretch. I will put on my uplift playlist. If it's a nice day, I will open my window for a moment, even if it's cold. This is when I don't have time to go all the way downstairs and out the back door. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got a minute here. And I I will dance a little bit to myself. I always have my playlist open on my computer, ready to hit play on. I also have my phone. I use it on Leatherless, I will admit. But it's when I'm working, I tend to be at my big computer in my home office. My playlist is always open. I will shut down every single other application when I'm doing client calls, but I will keep my playlist open. So between calls, 
I can have myself a little stretch, a little dance, and I've deliberately filled it with songs that I cannot help but smile, right? So <laughs> there are certain songs that remind me of memories. Uh, some of them like are from films, which, you know, always make me chuckle. And I hear it and I've associated it with a strong, powerful memory. And it is such a powerful way to reset. Uh, even over the weekend, while my husband was super ill and we were in and out of hospital, I took a few minutes to listen to the playlist and it worked a treat, I tell you. And I swear my optimistic attitude has been rubbing off on my husband over the last few years. Actually, over the last few weeks even, sometimes even in the last couple of weeks while he's been sick, he can't help but smile because I'm remaining upbeat. Albeit I am concerned and serious and, you know, there were some very difficult situations in the last couple of weeks. But I can't help but smile and find those little moments. And you know what? That rubs off on the people around you. It can be a really tricky thing to do. But apparently, the only thing I'm not able to do is <laughs> to smile a lot. So <laughs> do try this one out. It does take time and patience. I wouldn't have been able to do this overnight. Like this has taken years to get to this point. But I now always double down on this self-care when something bad happens. So that's something to build in. Okay, number two, because I talked a lot about self-care there. As you can tell, it is very, very important to me. But number two, prioritizing mental health by dealing with our emotions. This is actually tied in with those resets. But the other thing I do now, which I didn't do five years ago, is facing my emotions head on. A lot of our stress is actually caused by the anticipation of feeling in a specific way. It's also why we don't set up our comfort zone a lot of time. These days, I allow myself to feel all the feels. I don't push them away. I don't avoid them. I don't, you know, hide away from my fears and my anxieties. I say, okay, I'm anxious about this. Let's face it. Let's actually have a think about it. Let's discuss it with myself. I've learned not to discuss it with my husband. Whether or not he's sick, that's irrelevant on this one. <laughs> um, I process my emotions very differently from my husband, very differently from most of the people around me. And I used to, when I first figured out I needed to process my emotions, which took me a while to figure out, I would process with my husband. I tell you what, that put a massive strain in our relationship. Um, I'm all for talking. I do believe that a great marriages, any great friendship, any great relationship needs to have open, honest communication. You need ways of saying, hey, I'm not okay. Can we chat about this? But me processing my emotions about a random thing that happened today that my husband knows nothing about wasn't the most productive thing for my marriage. Complaining the whole way home about meetings that happened, not the most productive thing for my marriage once again. <laughs> but really I was doing that because I didn't know how else to process. What I've now learned is, yes, my brain can go to crazy world ending scenarios every single time. That's, that's one of my skill sets. In fact, it can be a bit of my zone of genius, I would say, in that by having this ability to zone in on like worst case scenarios, I anticipate more than other people. So it's actually my zone of genius. What I've learned to do now is use my upbeat mood that, you know, I've learned from doing self-care and I have therefore a background sense of optimism and therefore I can balance my worst case scenario planning mode, that brain side of me that's very negative at times, alongside the optimistic and, and basically convince myself that the likelihood of the sun coming up tomorrow is very high. <laughs> like we're probably not in the place of the sun not coming up tomorrow. So, you know, give it some perspective. But it took me doing the mental self-care first 
and then also not pushing my feelings away to allow me to get that experience. So I take time every day to feel all the feels. I actively make myself pause, slow down to feel all the feels. Again, if you do this every day, it really doesn't take very long. When I first started doing it, I was like, oh my God, I need to journal for an hour. I don't have time to journal for an hour. I'm just going to put that up front. I don't want to have time to journal for an hour. Like I do journal and it is powerful. It's not something that really lights me up. I know some people adore it, not my cup of tea, but it is super powerful in terms of allowing myself to face my feelings. So what do I actually do? Well, as I said, sometimes I journal. Sometimes I will literally just sit with my favorite cuppa on my favorite seat, looking out at the sky with a cat in my lap which is something I just like to do anyway, right? But as part of that slowing down, I will allow my brain to focus on the things that it's pushing away. I will be like, oh, okay, I'm a little bit scared of that thing. What's going on? Oh, I'm upset about this thing. What's going on? I will bring it up close, personal. I will resist the urge to get out my phone. If you ever get that urge to turn on the television, get out your phone, scroll, 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 look at the news, whatever it is, that's you buffering. That's you quite often hiding away from some emotion. There are other times we want to do that. We just, you know, we just want, don't want to think. But a lot of time when we don't want to think, we should either be asleep <laughs> or we should be actually facing the emotions because we don't want to think because it's uncomfortable, right? And reserve the scrolling and the television watching for like, I actually really want to watch that television series and get excited about it rather than what can I watch? Just want to be distracted. What can I Google? Just want to be distracted. I definitely can find myself going down rabbit holes for recipes. (laughs) I love cooking and I will happily like just spend an hour like "Mm, recipes, recipes, recipes. It's like a go-to buffer that stops me focusing on my emotions. I'm like, oh, right. Okay. I need to get uncomfortable, get out of my comfort zone, feel less confident and face these emotions because getting uncomfortable, getting out of your comfort zone, where you feel less confident is where growth happens, right? It's what you need. It's it's everything you need for growth. So most of the time we stay stuck and in our comfort zone because we are scared of how we are going to feel if something goes wrong. If you can train yourself to regularly explore your emotions and be okay with what you'll find when that happens, you're going to get a lot less uncomfortable to step out of your comfort zone because your brain is okay with negative emotions potentially coming your way because you've got lots of evidence of having dealt with it just fine. I was actually just speaking to one of my friends, another coach, Moira Lethbridge. She's been on the show a couple of times at this point. Um, I was just speaking to her. We did a LinkedIn Live um, at the point of recording this, a LinkedIn Live yesterday. This will be several weeks ago by the time that you will hear this. And Moira just confessed to me and she said, oh, you can totally share this on the show. So yes, I do have her permission. But she confessed to me because she's never done this before. Like, whereas I do live things all the time. I'm on the podcast all the time. I'm good at like interviewing people. At least I like to think so. So it doesn't, it doesn't cause any nervousness for me. And, you know, Moira on, on this LinkedIn Live where we are interviewing somebody else together, also her first ever LinkedIn Live, I was quite surprised because she came across as so centered, so calm, so organized. I was quite surprised when she said to me, yeah, but I looked down at my knees and they were shaking. <laughs> I was like, really? I had no idea. So I tell you that for, for two reasons. One, just because somebody looks poised and in control doesn't mean that they are. Go and watch that LinkedIn Life. Go to Moira Lethbridge's LinkedIn profile. Find one of her LinkedIn lives. There might be a couple by the time this goes up, but I'm pretty sure this is not going to go away straight away. It normally takes like two or three goes. Um, And see, can you tell that she's nervous at all? 
do like check in on that because she is a prime example which is why she was happy for me to share that of how we're all so good at putting on that face but that doesn't mean that we're okay underneath but what she also said to me was I know that if I do this I'm going to be okay I think that it is super super important to keep front and center in this situation you're going to be okay the world isn't going to end nothing terrible is going to happen and when we don't face our emotions I think a lot of the time our brain makes that thing a lot worse than it is actually going to be. So we need to train ourselves to regularly explore our emotions and be okay with what you're going to find because it's actually going to be a lot less uncomfortable to step out your comfort zone because your brain is okay with negative emotions. It knows you have evidence of having dealt with it. It knows you're going to be okay. All right, so that's step number two. The third and final step for prioritizing your mental health is about building and maintaining your support network. Now, I've talked about this before a little bit, but your support network does come in many forms. It can be family. Sometimes it's just close friends if you don't have that relationship with your family. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, if that's you. If you don't get this from your family, don't make that wrong. Just realize you can get it from elsewhere too, right? Then there are your peers who are in a similar position to you. This is so incredibly important. It's something I did not put enough effort in for the longest time. But you need people who have shared experiences, who can empathize with your circumstances and situations. Because you know what? As much as we love our mothers and fathers and sisters and siblings and spouses, if they don't do what we do, they don't get it. (laughs) My husband, he is a man in tech. He is fabulous at understanding what it's like to be a technologist. He doesn't get what it's like to be the only woman in the room. These days, he doesn't get what it's like to be a CEO. He, He gets some of it, but he doesn't get it. My mother thinks I'm the bee's knee. She's never been a CEO, bless her heart. (laughs) Mom, if you're listening, I adore you. Thank you for being my constant cheerleader. But this is the thing. We all need to have people around us who have shared experience of what we're going through. Having a group of peers has been life-changing for me. And for me, it also needed to be women. As I said, like being the only woman in the room is something that I struggled with for the longest time. And it's when I actually started to walk into rooms full of women, I was like, oh my gosh, I I feel different. I didn't even know there was a way to feel different. It's actually also why I've created the Leading Women in Tech community, which is a free community you can join on Slack. Go and it's in the show notes. So just go along and join that group. And why all of my clients are offered the chance to join a mastermind group of women at a similar career stage as them, because that community and support is so incredibly important. Also, your support network comes from professionals, whether they are mentors, coaches, therapists, or some other source of professional. I said this many times before, but high performers invest in their support because it does make a difference. Don't get me wrong, I think it's a disgrace that we get this support late in our careers rather than early in our careers when it would make a bigger difference, right? The number of organizations who will pay their senior leadership for coaching, but they won't give it to emerging leaders who are actually the ones that are going to benefit even more. Don't get me wrong, senior leaders all benefit, right? That's why most high performers have a coach throughout their career. All CEOs basically in the Fortune 500 all have coaches, right? You know, it's it's a thing. It is massively beneficial, but in my experience, even more beneficial early on in your career. Investing in training, education, support early in our career is something that organizations need to do, but they don't. And actually, it's fascinating to me how many of my clients who are in senior positions are paying for their own coaching, even though their company has some sort of coaching provided in-house. Other clients have negotiated to work with me instead of the official coaching company in-house, 
for various reasons. A lot of it is making sure that they have the support they need rather than the support the company needs. I will always insist, for example, that my relationship is with the individual, not with the company. I don't, for example, coach people um, through performance improvement plans. It's just not something I want to be doing because it's a very different style of coaching and it's not about elevating the individual so much. And it's really about allowing yourself, when you invest in this kind of support, it's about allowing yourself to put you first and realize that investing time and money in yourself is going to pay dividends in so many ways. You wouldn't not pay for healthcare. It's just, it comes as part of the package, thankfully, a lot of the time. But you pay for it in terms of taxes. You pay for it in terms of like a slightly reduced salary if you've got insurance in your business. Like you are paying for it. It's just, it's hidden from you. This is the same kind of thing. It's taking care of you. And of course, I did also say at the beginning of this one, you need to build and maintain your network. So you need to maintain your network. This obviously applies the most to your friends, families, and peers. Like if you paid for support, it's maintained by your finances. But the rest of it, you need to give more than you take from any group or individual. When times are good, give, share ideas, thoughts, resources, experiences, insights, laughter. Then when you need it, your network is so delighted to give back. And you know what? It's also incredibly inspiring to have people like that be the role model for the rest of your network. Be the person who gives, gives and gives. I've seen this many times. I had um, a friend of mine just like last week, she's going through a bit of a tough time and I just offered her a load of resources that I've been using to build my business because uh, she's building a business too. And I know that she's now gone on and done some other stuff for some other people. Like it's the whole pay it forward thing. It really, really works. It's so incredibly empowering. It's so incredibly inspiring. And you were saying, this is, this is how we're going to do this, people. So there you have it. The three things we should all be doing and all demonstrating as leaders. One, perform regular self-care. Two, deal with your emotions every day throughout the day. And three, build and maintain a support network. Now, of course, I want you to be the role model for others in the company that you work in. So I want you to start normalizing this at work. Be the person who says, we are sticking to our 25 or 50 minute meeting rule. I know many companies have this, but they don't stick to it. So even if you have another meeting straight after with the same people, be the one that says, right, I want you all to log off, come back on in five minutes, go outside and get some fresh air. I'll be doing that too. Be the person that says, let's do that. It's far too easy to be the person who allows everything to continue so you can leave early, right? I was that person. I was like, let's work through lunch, let's work through coffee breaks, let's just get this stuff done. Um, actually, at the end of the day, I can say this now as a coach, I didn't realize this at the moment. It's when I really started working on my self-care. I was like, oh my gosh, my productivity has skyrocketed because I'm slowing down to speed up, right? You will make better decisions if you take two minutes. You will spend less time tidying things up, mis redoing mistakes. A lot of these things you don't even realize are mistakes, it's just that things didn't go as easy as they can do when you take this time between everything. When you mentally pause, in the good old days, pre-COVID, when we were in the office, although I wouldn't say good old days, but different days maybe. <laughs> Thankfully, pre-COVID, that was, that was something we could all do without, right? But, you know, people would walk down the corridor between meetings. A great leader has a mental stop partway down the corridor where they say, I am going to breathe in a different way. I'm going to step over this line. I'm going to let those emotions stay that side of the line. I'm going to walk into this next meeting different. We don't have that when we sit at our home office all day. So you need to create that for yourself. Be the person who sets that example for every single other person. 
And if you were in charge of the meeting, this should be a no-brainer. Like even if your bosses aren't doing it, for everybody that reports into you, you need to start setting this example. And you can push for this with your bosses too. I've had many of my clients do that very successfully. Being this kind of leader builds a more resilient team and allows you to develop that multiplicative impact that many of us know is going to shift our business from good to extraordinary. Be the person that talks about mental health, that checks in with their team about how they're feeling, how they're coping, challenges their team and say, hey, look, so I'm seeing there's a, you know, there's a lot of emotional reaction things around here. What are you doing to help yourself? Here's what I do. Would any of that work for you? Be that leader. Bring in support if you have a budget for this for helping your team deal with their emotions. This is why coaching is so powerful. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) You want to have a healthy level of motivation for what is called discretionary effort. That starts with motivation, mental health, and removing ambiguity. By the way, discretionary effort is stuff that you do when nobody's looking at you. So actually, for many of us, it's the majority of our work, right? It's where the stuff happens. But you want to have that high level of motivation for that. And for that, You need to have great mental health in everybody in your team and you need to remove ambiguity. Ambiguity starts with you having great mental health and also everybody else having the ability to interpret what you're saying, which means they need to have great mental health too. So I want you to make mental health as a non-negotiable foundational pillar for your career moving forwards, even if it hasn't been to this point. I know this is not going to change overnight. If you're listening to this and thinking, well, that sounds a little amazing, but like, where do I start? Go back through this episode, remember those three things, regular self-care, deal with your emotions every day, build and maintain a support network, go through and ask yourself like, what could I do differently tomorrow? One small thing, one small habit change I could do. This has taken me years to get to this point, right? Small baby steps every single day, changing my habit and style. All right, let's finish up as always with a leadership mindset moment. Today's is about checking in on your leadership style and its impact on those around you in terms of mental health. I want you to slow down for a few minutes and ask yourself these three questions. First, what is your leadership style? Is it what you want to be recognized for? Secondly, what impact does your leadership style have on those around you? Ask yourself, am I a good role model, for example? Like, what is it that your leadership style has in terms of impact on those people around you? And then number three, do you have something to give or are you at breaking point? I want you to use those three questions to diagnose how you want to change and grow as a leader. That takes their team from struggling through surviving and all the way to thriving. It starts with doing a check-in first on you, your mental health, and the impact of your leadership on terms of mental health on those around you. All right, that is it for today's episode. As always, I love to hear your comments. Drop me a DM over on Slack if you're in Leading Women in Tech on Slack. If you're not, why not? Go and find the link in the show notes <laughs> or send me a DM over on LinkedIn. I love to hear from you all. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.